Thank you, Brenda. And I, I appreciate your showing some feeling and emotion. And Brady, for your sharing your gifts and your playfulness. Those are uh, good balances to your over-serious dour pastor. Well, let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts and minds and prepare to reflect on this word that we have from the Lord. Let's pray. Amen. Well, over the last weeks as we've been Looking in the Gospel of Luke, we have seen Jesus giving some specific warnings to his disciples while there's thousands of people kind of in the background listening in. The first thing he warns them against is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious bullies of the day. And then last time we met, we saw him warning about fearing people more than fearing God. Proverbs 29:25 says, "Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe." This morning in verses 8 through 12, we have a continuation of who it is we are to fear in life. Specifically, Jesus raises the question of what do our tongues? What does our speech tell us? about who we fear and who our ultimate allegiance is to? What does the testimony of our mouths reveal about the condition of our hearts? Romans 10 verse 10 says, For it is with your heart you believe, and you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. In another place, Jesus said, For the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. Now here in Luke, he raises three issues about how we speak of him, how we speak of Jesus himself, how we verbally confess him. Friends, the core, the root of what Jesus wants his disciples and us to understand is the significance of confessing him as Lord and Savior which is another way of talking about fearing God. His person, His work, His claims are at the very foundation of life. What He is speaking to is an absolute allegiance to Him as Lord and Savior. Look how He puts it in verses 8 and 9. I tell you, whoever acknowledges Me before men the Son of Man will also acknowledge Him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. The language here of before the angels of God to the Jewish, Jewish audience immediately calls to mind the final judgment. When angels of God will come and stand as witnesses when God judges the world. Jesus is painting a scene of the final judgment. And he says, 
you acknowledge me before men, you will be acknowledged in the final judgment. You deny me before men, and you will be denied in the final judgment. Faith and confession of Jesus is the determining point, the final criteria of whether we will be received by God or rejected in the final judgment. Now, I hardly need to say that this is not a politically correct view of Jesus in our world today. There are many people who want to teach Jesus as a great moral prophet who is proclaiming a message that we treat one another fairly, that we take care of the poor and the oppressed, but wants nothing to do with his being Lord or his claim to being divine, and especially the claim that he is the only way to salvation. To say Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to salvation, in politically correct terms, is intolerant, arrogant, and even dangerous. But here, Jesus is saying, the determining factor as to whether you will be accepted or rejected in the final judgment is me. Whether you accept me or deny me, I am the determining factor in the final judgment. Jesus claims far more than being someone who's speaking against the structures of power or is teaching how to live a better life, promoting health and wealth and happiness. He's saying, I am the hinge point of salvation. I'm the only way of salvation. This is a powerful statement about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to know God, to, to, to come to God. And because our secular culture is becoming more hostile to the message of Christ as humanity's Savior, there are some Christians and churches that want to blend into the culture. They want to compromise in a way that makes them respectable to the culture. So we are tempted. We're tempted to hide this. We're tempted to downplay this testimony of loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But try as we might, we cannot get Jesus off the hook with this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the message of the apostles in Acts 4.12, And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We cannot with integrity free the teachings of Jesus from the dominant public opinion of our day. <clears throat> it's on record. It's in print. 
This is what he said. Excuse me. And if you and I as Christians want to stand with Jesus, if we're going to stay with him on this, we are going to be viewed as discriminatory bigots and even considered as hateful. The challenge that Jesus leaves us here in Luke 12 is where is your allegiance going to be? Whether it's at school or in the workplace, family relationships or somewhere in the community, will you and I stand with Jesus or will we compromise with the culture around us? Will we acknowledge Him and His authority and the authority of His Word? Or will we compromise for fear of offending people, of being labeled, of being looked down on? This is a question that is pressing on Christians who believe in the historic biblical message. And then there's a second issue here with our speech in verse 10. It has to do with opposing Jesus when he speaks of the unpardonable sin. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now let's break this down a bit. What does it mean when he says, if someone speaks a word against the Son of Man, he will be forgiven? We have many examples of people in the Bible who spoke against Jesus, who denied Him or rejected Him, and then returned to Him and repented. The thief on the cross, for example, at the beginning of the crucifixion, mocks Jesus. But at the end, he professes his faith in Jesus. Remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will enter paradise. The Pharisee, Saul, is a man violently persecuting Christians, literally trying to destroy the Christian church. But Jesus knocks him on his back and he repents. And he comes to faith in Christ. His name is changed to Paul. He becomes a powerful missionary. You know, it's clear here. There are people that can reject Jesus in this lifetime and still repent and still believe and be restored to faith. How is this different than blaspheming the Holy Spirit? When Jesus speaks about this in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, it's in the context of the Pharisees claiming that Jesus does his miracles by the power of Satan. In other words, Jesus is healing and casting out demons and even raising some people from the dead. And these guys go, you're doing that with satanic power. They're calling the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan. And this is a a form of blasphemy. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And if we do a survey of the Scriptures, we would see that some of the roles that the Holy Spirit has are 
to convict the world of sin. And in the Spirit is the one who empowers the life of Jesus. Remember, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he began his public ministry, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires the writings of the Bible. And then, most relevant to us, he testifies to human beings about Jesus. Jesus said it like this in John 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So here's the deal. The Holy Spirit of God testifies to Jesus Christ, to human hearts, to human minds, and to blaspheme against the Spirit is to persistently and permanently resist and reject this witness of the Spirit regarding Jesus as Savior, Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus as the Lord. The Holy Spirit testifies to the person and the work and the claims of Jesus Christ. And what he testifies is, is that it's true. That he is the Messiah. That he is the Savior. That he's the Son of the living God. And anyone who perseveres throughout their life resisting this testimony to the very end, after they die, they cannot be pardoned. To reject the testimony of the Spirit to your death is the unpardonable sin. Now it's important to understand this <clears throat> because some of you may feel or wonder, have I ever committed the unpardonable sin? Maybe at some time in your life you cursed the Lord. You were so mad, you cursed Him. Or you made a profession of faith and then you stumbled in significant points along the way. You have committed some grievous sins and you worry, is it unpardonable? Well, friends, remember the others in the Bible who lapsed, who repented, who came back. One of the great evidences you have not committed the unpardonable sin is that you worry that you have committed the unpardonable sin. You will never meet anyone who is committing the unpardonable sin and worries about it, who even cares if they're committing the unpardonable sin because they don't believe in sin and they don't believe in a Savior. If you feel that you have at some time in your life denied Christ, I hold up to you the example of Peter, one of the original disciples, who denies Jesus three times publicly and then later is restored publicly by Jesus himself and commissions him to be a leader. Like Peter, like Paul, and the thief on the cross, you too can return to Jesus as your Savior and trust Him for the work of grace in your heart. Then thirdly, and lastly, Jesus speaks to proclaiming Him, to defending Him before others. 
In verses 11 and 12, Jesus addresses the fact that his disciples will be called on, will be challenged to give an account, and to do that in the synagogues, the Jewish church. He said, when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, Jesus is not telling us here we don't need to study the Bible, we don't need to prepare how we will defend the hope that is within us. What he is saying is when you are faithful to him and there is a time you are called to give an account, do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the words or even the word that you need to say as well as the courage to say it. Some of you may remember a number of years ago, I think it was 1999, Colorado High School. Students got up that morning and went to school expecting a typical day. But on that day, two crazed teenagers with automatic weapons went into the school at Columbine and began shooting people. At some point, one of them said to a female student whom they had already shot once, do you believe in God? Her name was Rachel Scott. And she said, yes, you know I do. And it cost her her life. We never know when we will be called on to give a testimony. But the Lord will give us the word. Even if it's the one word. Yes. So what do our tongues tell us about our heart allegiance to Jesus Christ? Again, we live in a day and age when we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lives within us. Oh, we probably won't be killed, but we could lose a job or a promotion or an opportunity. You may be a student who believes that there's a God who created the universe and your science professor docks you a grade point. Or you take a stand on sexuality or marriage or abortion and you're shamed and criticized. Each of us will have to decide in whatever circumstances will we stay with the Lord Jesus or will we compromise? I want to close with Romans 10. 9 and 11, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Would you pray with me? Lord, we don't understand why it can't be easier. Why we can't just believe and be happy. We recognize we live in a, a spiritual battle, a sin-broken world, and we have, as we seek to follow you, the challenge 
to stay faithful. God, we depend on you even for that. Not only for our very faith, but for our faithfulness. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us that we may be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within us and to acknowledge you before men that we love you and follow you and trust you. May you be glorified in our witness and um, yeah, in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.